This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. And good afternoon, everyone. Well, I trust you had a good weekend. Uh, Claudette, looks like you had an eventful one. (laughs) (laughs) If only, you know, people could see what I look like right now. Definitely not an influencer with fashion because I'm wearing socks and uh, (laughs) some sandals. Uh, Yeah, I had a fall when I was uh, practicing running over the weekend. Just just after the following day, uh, uh, Saturday, I registered for the Tele 10. Sunday, I took a really bad fall. So uh, it's just a sprained ankle. Can't get in to see anybody. So I'm just icing it. And it's uh, that's why I look the way I look today. Oh, well, (laughs) I hope you're not in too much discomfort. (laughs) And that heals time enough. Will you get a chance to run the Tele 10? I don't know. I was hoping, you know, I'm I'm in a group and um, the trainer is just so motivational. He was one of the former race directors. He's known as Mr. Telly, wrote the book on it, and uh, Joe Ryan. He's just so great, and he's very motivational. He thinks, you know, with with enough rest, I still might be able to get my training in, so hopefully. Oh, fingers crossed. (laughs) But, of course, that's if you had some kind of a a musical recital, you would have lost your voice. Right. Right? Yes. That's how these things work. So true. Well, I hope you heal up uh, very quickly. Well, it was a a beautiful weekend just the same, and uh, a good time, Claudette, to go out and look at the waves coming. Coming in at Cape Spear. I saw that. Uh, we have a video out there. You may have seen it on VOCM.com right now. We'll get into that in a moment. But first, just minutes ago, RCMP provided an update on their investigation into the discovery of human rain- remains in a burned out vehicle in a wooded area of Glover Road in Harbor Grace last week. The remains were discovered last Tuesday afternoon. RCMP say the victim's death has been ruled a homicide. Corporal Jolene Garland provided the update to report. Reporters uh, today, including VOCM's Richard Duggan, on what police call a disturbing case. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for being here. I'm Corporal Jolene Garland, Media Relations Officer for the RCMP in Newfoundland and Labrador. Today, we are here to provide you with an update on the investigation into human remains that were found last week near the area of Glover Road in Harbour Grace. On the afternoon of Tuesday, April 11, 2023, Harbour Grace RCMP received a report of an abandoned, burned-out vehicle in a wooded area near Glover Road. Officers attended the scene where human remains were discovered inside the vehicle. The remains were transported to the office of the Chief Medical Examiner last week, and the deceased was identified. The cause of death was deemed to be as a result of a homicide. The next of kin was notified of the death and has since been made aware that the death has been ruled as a homicide. The investigation which has been ongoing since last week is being led by the RCMP Major Crimes Unit. From the onset of the investigation, a number of specialized RCMP sections have been assisting with the investigation and are continuing their work as we speak. These include officers from the Forensic Identification Services, General Investigation Section, Police Dog Services, the Tactical Support Group, Federal Policing Services, and police officers from both Bay Roberts and Harbour Grace Detachments. 
At this time, we are seeking possible dash cam footage from motorists who are traveling in the area of the intersection of Glover Road and the Veterans Memorial Highway between the hours of noon on Sunday, April 9th, 2023 to noon on Monday, April 10th, 2023. As the investigation continues, residents can expect to see an increased police presence in the area. Those having information about this crime are asked to contact Harbour Grace RCMP at 709-596-5014. The RCMP extends our deepest sympathy to the victim's family and friends, and our police officers remain dedicated to finding those responsible for this heinous crime. I will now take questions from the media, keeping in mind that as this is a very active investigation into a criminal charge, there are some details we will not be able to disclose. The victim was a male. Can you say how the victim died? I can't say the exact cause of death that would lead the Office of the Chief Medical Examiner to rule it as a homicide, but the victim was found as human re remains deceased within a burned vehicle. Was, did you determine if I don't have those sorts of details to share. Again, with this being such an active investigation, as you can imagine, some of these things, uh, for investigative reasons, we simply can't say. I uh, just can confirm that the report we received uh, last Tuesday afternoon was of a vehicle that was abandoned in a wooded area on Glover Road, and a further examination um, determined that there was human remains found within the deceased, uh, found within the vehicle. I'm sorry. So at this time, um, the investigation is continuing. No arrests have been made. As, as you said, this is a disturbing incident. Um, what do you say to people in the community that are concerned on hearing these details? Obviously, uh, a homicide is a very big concern to you know the community at large, and certainly those that would live uh, in and around the Harbor Grace area. Uh, the public needs to rest assured that we are certainly doing all that we can do um, to make sure that they're safe and to also solve this crime. Did the deceased live in the area? I don't have that information. That may be something I might be able to follow up on. With respect to um, deceased and victims of crime, it's not our normal pro protocol to identify an individual, but I might be able, I did, was able to qualify that it was male, uh, and I can check to see if we could let you know the general area where they resided. Can you tell us about the challenges uh, that uh, officers faced in, in investigating such a well, certainly uh, we did have some challenges indeed. As you mentioned, a remote area, my understanding was more like a, that of a woods road type of area where uh, because of the current uh, you know, season, what we're into, the fall season, the area was quite uh, muddy, not a well-maintained road, you know, snow-covered sections and mud, which made travel to and from the scene uh, difficult at times for sure. Do you know how long the disease was there before being discovered? 
We don't have an exact, you know, uh, a time or even a day to say for sure it happened since, but we do believe up to the two days preceding, you know, when it was discovered. We're, we're looking for information specifically that dash cam footage that I mentioned from Sunday onward. onward. So there you have it, Corporal Jolene Garland providing that update just a, a few moments ago within the last hour or so uh, at RN, RCMP headquarters, I'm sorry, in St. John's about that um, homicide. They're calling it a homicide now in Harbor Grace, discovered last Tuesday afternoon, but they're looking for dash cam footage in the area of Glover Road and the Veterans Memorial Highway. Glover, uh, Glover Road intersects the Veterans Memorial, goes underneath it, as a matter of fact, there by uh, the uh, Cleary Arena and goes on into the woods. He was found in a wooded area. Uh, the remains inside a burned-out vehicle. They're not saying ex the exact cause of death right now, but they are determining that it is a homicide. It was a man, and they are not releasing any further information around it at this time, but they are asking for dash cam footage from the area of Glover Road and the uh, Veterans Memorial between uh, noon on uh, Sunday, the Sunday before the remains were found, and noon on Monday to contact the RCMP. Um, so anyone with information is asked to do so. Coming up, a very close call for someone watching the waves at Cape Spear this weekend. This is News Talk on VOCM. Weekdays on VOCM, it's Open Line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking. And we're back. Well, the video is absolutely shocking. Um, the fact that anyone survived that is, is nothing short of miraculous. A young woman lucky to be alive after she was nearly pulled out to sea at Cape Spear while admiring the waves. And uh, Claudette, you've seen this video, haven't you? It's, it was disturbing yeah it Chilling. was disturbing yeah I mean I don't know if I could want to watch it again because you feel so hopeless you, I thought that she was swept ashore until I heard no you know she happened to be fine but also you know as much as it is a lesson in you know abiding by signs especially at Cape Spear I, I don't like all the negativity surrounding you know people using the s word like stupid and and stuff like that like there's a lot of negativity of of surrounding what she did you know well i um, know she shouldn't have no but it's a i guess it's yeah. a lesson in um the power of nature yes and, and how we should none of us take that for granted maybe um, she didn't re you know maybe she did not realize the magnitude of those waves. obviously not but it's still quite something the woman's predicament caught on video by daryl churchill who brought some family members down to cape spear to take in the waves on the weekend and of course the waves were just rolling in and um it just spectacular fashion the video shows a huge wave crashing onto the shore and knocking this woman off her feet but somehow she survived well daryl churchill is on the line with me now well daryl churchill you uh took in quite the spectacle this weekend at cape spear i know a lot of people go down here to see the waves you saw something completely different what brought you down there well, my family visiting from away, uh, and uh, we decided because it was a nice day to go out to uh, Cape Spear uh, for some, you know, I might see some icebergs, and it was a beautiful day. So you noticed somebody down on the rocks. What what caught your attention? 
Well, yeah, so we had made our way along uh, the trail, uh, watching the waves, of course, with a lot of wave action. And we got to the point where the monument or the stone is there for the most easterly point in North America view. So we were on that uh, decking. And I was I was scanning with my phone, taking some video of the wave action, which was quite active. And we caught as I went to the right of, right of me, I saw this young lady uh, in the helmet and outfit standing uh, inside the fence, down close to the shoreline. And uh, so I thought, no, that's not smart. Um, so I was following the waves, went back scanning and so on, watching the, the wave act, and I saw a large wave brewing. And I, uh, so I followed that along and then swept along to, uh, to where the young lady was, and it came right over top of her, swept her off her feet, and then, you know, we, uh, it was quite shocking. And uh, then we go, she's gone. And then, then we saw her white helmet as she crawled back up the rocks and made it out onto the shoreline. Miraculous. Yes, I would say so. You must have thought you you just watched someone perish. It certainly crossed my mind. It was a, it all happened very fast, and uh, it uh, yeah, it was kind of uh, shock and and uh, worry and all those emotions you know jammed into a few seconds. So she emerged all right. Yes, yes. So she made her way up, uh, and uh, so we were we were standing. We we saw her walking down. She had her bike with her. Uh, I think she was a mountain biker or whatever. And she was walking towards us, and we met her at the path intersection and asked her how she was doing. And she had a you know cut knee, and her pants were torn. Of course, she was you know pretty wet and uh, pretty much in shock. But uh, she said she was okay. And was she from around here? Did you get to ask her any of those types of questions? Uh, we didn't really get into where she was from. I, uh, I believe she was from away. Uh, um, and, uh, you know, we, we just talked, made sure she was okay, and then asked, you know, uh, I think I asked her, you know, what were you thinking? And, you know, she said something, you know, to the effect that, uh, well, you know, us young Young kids think we're invincible. And I thought, mm, well, you came close to challenging that. Have you ever seen anything like that before? Uh, no, the closest I've seen to that was the lads surfing out at uh, St. Vincent's Beach on high surf, but they were dressed and, and doing it deliberately. <laughs> but that's no, I said that was the first time I've seen that close of a call. And I guess that's a warning to anybody who might, uh, you know, see those powerful waves and think, wow, that's pretty cool to stay clear. Absolutely. And and it is well posted and there are fences up and things like that. But, uh, you know, some of these people want to get closer to the action. Uh, They do so at their own risk. It's uh, a rogue wave and, you know, in a blink. Can be all over. Absolutely. Well, Daryl Churchill, I really appreciate you taking the time with us, and we're glad to hear that she's okay. Yes, well, that's, that's the main thing. Thank you so much.
All right, thank you. Yes, miraculous indeed. And we're so happy to hear that she is, in fact, okay. Well, crab harvesters from across the province rallied at Confederation Building in St. John's today. Harvesters want fairness in the fish price-setting panel process after $2.20 a pound was set for crab this year, something that the minister, uh, Derek Bragg, called a crappy price. Well, here's FFAW President Greg Pretty from earlier today. Put your hands in the air like you just don't care. I know I'm getting to that point, too, where I just don't care. I'm just like the provincial government now, right? I don't care. No, you know that's not true. Thanks for coming out. We got people from Green Bay, White Bay, Fogo, Trinity Bay, Bonavista Bay. I see Andy Kareen out there, too. Look at him. St. Mary's Bay, off St. John's. Absolutely incredible. Conception Bay. And as Northern Peninsula and as Doretta said, and by the way, I had Derek Bag uh, speak after Doretta, so I wouldn't have to get up and speak right after her. So uh, thanks for that. Okay. So, but I want to I want to pick up where Derek where Derek was on the panel, and he says, you know, the panel's been a great a great source of comfort for the province because we rejigged it last year. Well, I can tell you something right now. On that panel, nobody expected to play Russian roulette with that panel. Nobody expected to play Texas Hold'em, where it was all in on that panel. And what we wound up with on that panel decision, and this is why it's broken, what we wound up was that they shifted, they downloaded everything that was wrong in the, in the crab industry, in the markets, onto the backs of harvesters. And that's totally unfair. Part of that great formula we talked about earlier, we worked on it for two months. Well, there's a reason we did that. There was a reason because that would have had sharing the risk of this fishery. And they didn't want to do it. Ultimately, they didn't want to share the risk. They wanted the same system they have now where they downloaded everything on harvesters and the industry, winding up with a $2.20 price. Absolutely shameful. I, I got a prepared text. I'm going to get to it in a minute. But I got to say this. If you turn those cameras around, the ones that are on me right now, you will see the people who fuel and feed this province. Just look at them. Go look around. Look at them. Feeding and f fueling every community, every little community in this province. And it's not, we're not going to get rich, for God's sakes. Look at us. We're not going to get rich selling each other craft beer. This is the engine that f fuels the economy. And it should be, it should have the respect it should have the respect of the government as we go through this thing. No, we don't have it. We don't have it, but we're going to get it. Now, you know, the problem, the problem is, is that we have, and this is something that's a long-term issue for us. The problem is that for too long, what we've done as a province, what we've done as an industry is put the stuff in a box, Get rid of it, send it to Port of Basque, get paid for it by August, and good luck, see you next year. That's not a way to do the, the largest crab fishery in the world. For God's sake, we can do a better job than that, can't we? 
We can work longer. We can have more money if we do it right. So what's wrong with talking to the FFAW, the leadership, our bargaining committees? What's wrong with that about having a, a plan for the future that actually doesn't look after the, the wants and needs of seven fish companies, but looks after the wants and needs and the incomes for over 7,500 industry workers in our union. It's extremely frustrating. You know, besides companies and some government members who would like to split this union, there are also people who actively campaigned yesterday to, to drive a wedge and not have people come to this demonstration. Well, what's this demonstration about? It's about the future of the fishing industry. Because if we don't stand up, as Jim did said, if we don't stand up for ourselves and push back, they will have us, they will take us, and they're not going to do that. That's FFAW President Greg Pretty speaking to hundreds of fish harvesters who gathered at Confederation Building this morning at 11 o'clock in VOCM's Richard Duggan was there. Uh, coming up, members of the Public Service Alliance of Canada poised to strike. This is News Talk on VOCM. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show, midnight on your VOCM. Thanks a lot, Claudette. And Noah, well, as you probably know, some 155,000 federal employees are going on strike just after midnight tomorrow if there is no deal with Ottawa by 10.30 Newfoundland time tomorrow night. While they made some progress over the past week, the two sides still far apart on key issues such as wages. PSAC President Chris Aylward says they have had several wage offers over the past several weeks, but none of which are keeping up up with inflation. Well, here's an excerpt from today's news conference. We've always said from day one, uh, we, we need wages for our members that will keep up uh, with inflation. So Catherine. have you, uh, Catherine May, Policy Options, so have you actually had a wage offer? Uh, we've had several wage offers uh, over the last couple of weeks. Uh, none that uh, keep up with the rate of inflation. And so they've improved their original. Have they offered you the 10.5? They've offered other unions. Have they offered you the pick? What have they done? We've seen uh, the pick uh, wages. That's what we've seen. That's the the, the latest. Uh, and as I've said, uh, we we've always uh, maintained and we'll continue to maintain that we need to see a decent wage for our members that keeps up with the rate of inflation. That's what workers in this country uh, deserve. Uh, workers in this country are fed up, they're frustrated. Our members are no different. So you haven't seen an offer of the 10.5 offered to other unions? No. Would you be happy with that? Uh, it's not up to me, it's up to the, our, our individual uh, bargaining teams. Our bargaining teams are, are duly elected uh, by their respective members. And can I ask, uh, what's your sticking point at the other tables? Besides, like, what are big ones that could get in the way if you got exactly what you wanted um, pay-wise? Like, what are those big sticking points? So, some of the issues are, again, are around uh, when we look at, uh, you know, especially our operational services uh, table. Uh, some of our, our tradespeople, our firefighters, uh, our HPs, uh, when we look at what they're making uh, and what, look, what, what the private sector uh, is making, uh, we're, 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 it's not comparable. 
uh, the, the workers in those classifications in the federal public service make considerably less than what private sector uh, employees make doing the same jobs. Cormac McSweeney with City News. Um, how has the mood been at the table in negotiations with the federal government this time around? Uh, it's, it's becoming very frustrating. Uh, that's why we're, we're, we're basically putting a clock uh, on this round of bargaining now and, and setting a deadline of uh, 9 o'clock uh, tomorrow night because uh, from what we've seen, uh, there, there's no need for this to drag out anymore, uh, basically. Uh, we've, we've been there for almost two years. Uh, that's why we're putting that clock on, it, because, because our members are getting extremely frustrated and rightfully so. And on the critical issues that you're talking about, like wages, is it that the government's not budging at all or just budging a little bit and not enough in your eyes? And then also, I know that you were asked last news conference, but can you tell for Canadians who are watching right now, how will they notice this in their everyday lives? What services will be impacted that they won't have access to if you go on strike at 1201 Wednesday? Uh, certainly, uh, some uh, services will be shut down. Some uh, services will be uh, delayed. Uh, there will be certainly delays in applications around, you know, passport, immigration uh, applications, uh, employment insurance uh, applications. Uh, they, there, there will certainly be a, a slowdown there. Uh, the, you know, our imports and exports uh, may be affected uh, as well. Uh, so that will obviously, uh, uh, you know, impact the uh, the economy. Uh, and anything arriving, you know, or coming in or leaving the country by air, rail, or, or marine uh, may be affected as well. Kate McKenna, CBC News. Um, just given the size of your union and the potential leverage that you have and the fact that a lot of other people are dealing with an inflationary crunch uh, with their wages. What kind of precedent are you hoping to set, or is that something that's on your mind at all? Absolutely, it, it is on our mind. Because when the federal government represses its wages for its own employees, what they're doing is repressing wages for workers right across the country, unionized workers, non-unionized workers, private sector, public sector. And we, we're saying that's wrong. And we're asking the government to come to the table and set that bar for all working people in this country to make sure that no workers get left behind. Workers are, are, are fed up. We watch corporations make record profits, but yet nobody wants to pay working people. It's time for wor workers in this country to stand up and stand with us and say enough is enough and push back. Because as I said, when this government tries to repress the wages of its own workers, what they're doing is repressing the wages for all workers. This government has said they believe in workers. Well, if that's true, come to the table and demonstrate that so that no worker in this country is left behind. Workers didn't cause inflation. We shouldn't have the burden that, uh, that, that responsibility. So that's uh, the Public Service Alliance of Canada President Chris Aylward earlier today at a news conference that was held nationally, and VOCM's uh, Brian Medor was uh, sitting in on that uh, virtually. Some 155,000 federal employees set to go on strike just after midnight tomorrow if no deal with Ottawa is reached by 10.30 Newfoundland time tomorrow night and still far apart on key issues such as wages. When we come back, it's fall prevention 
Extinction Awareness Week in Newfoundland and Labrador. We'll give you some of the stats on that when we come back right after this. Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. And Claudette, that commercial break just then uh, raised a very interesting question. Three bun or two bun bread? Oh, um, I would say three bun bread. It wouldn't seem right, would it? No, no. It feels <laughs> like that you'd be missing out or cutting corners. <laughs> yeah, and then I uh, don't even get me started on the people that just do the big roll and it's just one thing. <laughs> doesn't, make sense. doesn't make sense to me. Unless it's like a baguette or something like yes. that. But two or three bun bre- bread, I never thought about that very much. But yeah, in my mind, it's got to be three. Oh, of course. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Interesting question. (laughs) (laughs) Well, from 2017 to 2021, close to 500 workers in the province's construction industry received medical assistance or lost time from work due to slips, trips and falls in the workplace. Five people lost their lives as a result of a fall over that same period. Well, April 17th to the 21st is Fall Prevention Awareness Week and Executive Director of the Newfoundland and Labrador Construction Safety Council, Jackie Manuel is on the line. Jackie Manuel is Fall Prevention Week, and of course, that's no more important than on the work in the workplace or on the work site. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the hazards caused by uh, falls and and those types of injuries in the work site. Well, thanks, Linda. Um, this is uh, yeah Fall Prevention Awareness Week, and uh, I mean one of the one of the things we we hope to do is to raise awareness about those falls. And what's actually interesting is when we think about the construction industry and falls, um, it's actually one of the leading causes of injury in our industry. And most people think, well, of course, you know, people unfortunately would fall off ladders and fall off roofs. But in actual fact, the um, the main uh, um, almost 50% of injuries from falls in the construction industry are slips, trips, and falls. So when we think about housekeeping and site maintenance, um, we actually have more people who are injured as a result of just a fall on the same level than than a fall from a height. I mean, we we hear more about the falls from height because obviously the outcomes tend to be much more serious in terms of, you know, the injuries. But, um, you know, that's just one of the things that we're uh, we're hoping to to highlight this week and, uh, you know, keep falls front of mind um, because they are, um, you know, they are certainly a, a significant hazard in our industry and in many industries. What are the stats when it comes to uh, trips and falls in the workplace and the injuries that occur from that? Uh, are they uh, getting better? Are they getting worse? Is there greater awareness? I think that one stayed pretty stable. I think falls from height, we've seen uh, tremendous improvement over the last decade in terms of workers, the number of workers who've been injured. But I think slips, trips, and falls are, are staying, uh, staying pretty common. Um, it just, it's just, for example, in a five-year period, um, injuries from falls, all falls in our industry, um, resulted in almost $40 million in claims. At uh, at workplace and L, um, you know that 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 translated to um, almost fifty two thousand weeks of lost work 
Um, that's, that's workers who were injured so badly that they were unable to return to work. Um, and that's just in a five-year period. So very much still a, a very real concern in our industry, um, which is why fall prevention um, and what the week is all about is so important. So, um, yeah, we have, like, um, piles of, of tools and resources on our website. Uh, we're going to be hosting webinars and podcasts in, uh, with our partners, Workplace NL, and uh, the OSH Division of uh, Digital Government and Service NL. And um, so there's lots of, lots of great information available, and, uh, and we hope that, uh, you know, over the course of the week, we'll, uh, we'll continue to raise awareness about this important hazard. What are the most common types of injuries? We know falls from heights, uh, you know, can be catastrophic. But uh, with when it comes to trips and 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 um, slips and those kinds of things, what kind of injuries do we typically see? I think those are where we tend to see the soft tissue injuries, the strains. The, you know, we think about uh, we've all done it, slipped on the ice, and you you uh, you know you end up with a, a a sprain or a pulled muscle. So that tends to be you know um, fairly common with the um, with slips, trips, and falls for sure. Um, you know, the falls from height, obviously, the injuries tend to be uh, much more much more catastrophic, and um, you know, so that's uh, you know, I guess why we. That's kind of where our, our uh, where our thoughts go when when we think about falls in the construction industry. What can be t- done when it comes to prevention? So. Slips, trips, and falls, housekeeping, huge issue. Um, site maintenance, uh, particularly in the spring now when we're, when we're opening up our construction sites, you know, the ground may be a bit uh, uh, torn up because of snow clearing operations or, you know, just because it's sat idle all winter with ice and snow on top of it. So, you know, we just, you know, we want to make sure that, uh, that uh, you know, we, we do a good job in terms of uh, those kinds of things. When we think about other falls, uh, you know, Obviously, workers need to be trained. Well, you know, as with any hazard in the workplace, um, you know, workers, supervisors, they need to understand, be able to recognize the hazard, and uh, and know what they need to do to protect themselves. So, when we t- when we think about working at height, fall protection training for workers is is critical in terms of so they understand, you know, what's uh, what's required and how to protect themselves. And then, obviously, you know, the equipment, the fall protection equipment that that uh, we would see work workers wearing, um, they need to know how to properly put it on, how to care for it, how to maintain it. Those are all, all um, you know, really, really important pieces, I guess, of, uh, of the puzzle. Are we getting better uh, with um, safety on the work site? I, I know that uh, the legislation went in not too long ago about uh, making sure that people are tied off and those kinds of things, but still, from time to time, you see somebody on a work site somewhere and they're not tied off. Are we better? Doing better? We're definitely doing better. Um, is there room for improvement? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, when we look back historically at where we were 10 years ago, 20 years ago, uh, it's, it's, it's almost night and day in terms of, you know, our in, uh, in our industry, in the construction industry, you know, we've seen um, the number of uh, injuries has been, it's, it's, it's probably a quarter of, of what it was 20 years ago when, when our association started. And, but that's, that's still, there's still an awful lot of, uh, of people um, who who are being injured. A lot of construction workers are being injured as a result of falls. So there's definitely, definitely work to be done. 
And I understand you have uh, webinars that are going to be taking place throughout the week uh, and coming weeks, no doubt, uh, uh, when it comes to fall prevention. There are webinars, uh, podcasts, uh, some of them are live, some of them are pre-recorded. So I would encourage uh, any of your listeners who might have an interest in um, in fall prevention, they can just go to our website, uh, it's nlcsa.com, click on events, and it'll take you, uh, you'll see the Fall Prevention Awareness Week uh, tile, and um when, you know that's where all the tools and resources are the schedule for the webinars and podcasts and um, you know all the other things that are planned for the week Jackie Manuel I do appreciate your time thank you well thanks Linda thanks for your interest and of course Jackie Manuel is the executive director of the Newfoundland and Labrador Construction Safety Council this is fall prevention awareness week well some 40 students are participating in a special hands-on learning experience in Stephenville this week through Skills Canada program manager with Skills Canada Rebecca Lawler joins me now well hello Rebecca hi how are you great so tell us what Skills Canada is doing this week yeah, so we have a really exciting week coming up. So we have coordinators in the Stephenville area, um, and they're going to be putting off a couple of different programs for youth. And I understand you have quite a few um, students already on their way. Absolutely, yep. So we have 40 students um, from Stephenville High School. Um, they're going to be going to Stephenville's College of the North Atlantic Center for Heavy Equipment and Transportation Technology to do some um, to do a full day event, and they're going to do some try a trade and hands on demonstrations and get really familiar with the types of programs that they offer in their trade areas. So you say this is hands on. What are we talking about? Yeah, so um, students are actually going to have the opportunity to work with experts and um, the instructors at the college um, to learn about the different operational and mechanical trades that they have. So heavy-duty equipment, heavy equipment operator, mobile crane. So they're actually going to get um, hands-on demonstrations. They're going to be able to get in there. They're going to go outside. They're going to be able to learn about these different areas hands-on um, with the experts side-by-side. Side. So instead of sitting down and listening to someone talk about it, they're actually going to be able to get out there and uh, learn firsthand, which is what we're all about. So it's very exciting. Do you find that makes a difference, that tactile, that, uh, that uh, doing kind of way of learning? Absolutely. It's very important. Um, and, it, you know, it, it keeps students' attention. Um, it gets them to think about, you know, a lot of these students are going to be grade 11 and 12. So some of them might know what they want to do when they, you know, get into post-secondary and some of them might not. Um, and the thing about trades is that, you know, you might hear of, you know, heavy-duty equipment as a uh, trade option, but they might not actually know what that means or, you know, what it means to actually be in and get in and get trained and get a red seal in a heavy-duty equipment. So by putting off these types of events, students actually get a tangible experience. They get to connect with those experts, you know, sometimes one-on-one -on -one or in small groups, and they actually get to try to see, hey, I actually really like mobile crane, or you know what, maybe that's not for me. I'll try something else. So both of those things are very important to us um, and basically is what, we're, what we promote. What kind of feedback do you typically get from these types of events? 
We get really good feedback. Um, the great thing about the Skill Futures events um, is that they're all about career exploration, um, and we put them off in all types of areas. So it could be anything from trades, health sciences, it could be the arts, anything that is, you know, hands-on work. Um, we put off uh, these types of um, programs throughout the province all throughout the year. Um, and the feedback is great. You know, a lot of the times you might have a student that doesn't really, you know, might not be sure or they might not, you know, not not do as well, but, you know, they might learn a certain, a different way than others. And, um, you know, that hands-on experience is a different way of learning. So that's why, you know, it, it's, it's a great way for to get students outside the classroom, to get them learning about something else, and also, you know, maybe spark an interest that may have not been there before. And I guess getting this feedback is a learning experience for you. Oh my gosh, absolutely, yes. It's so great because, you know, you might see a student that a lot of the times, like, you know, just a quote, like a couple things that we get is, you know, thank you so much for coming today. Um, I'm not interested in these areas, but now I know that, and, you know, that's, that, that, that's not the career for me. Or you might get the opposite and say, you know what, I never even knew what heavy equipment operating was, or I never knew what baking is, or I never knew what a PCA is. But now that I went to your event, it's something that I want to explore more. So, you know, all of those things are very important. And, and it's just such a, it's a great feeling to, you know, to be the reason sometimes why a student might be able to spark an interest in a certain area. So that's College of the North Atlantic in Stephenville this Wednesday. But what else have you got planned? Anything else uh, over the course of the uh, coming months? Yeah, so um, actually this week, so tomorrow, we're actually going to be at Elwood High in Deer Lake. Um, we're going to be putting off some tri-trade kits. So we do offer kits that we actually can bring into the classroom that gets students working in the classroom um, on, on different areas. So we're going to be putting off some of them tomorrow. We're going to be doing a presentation with um, an instructor from the College of the North Atlantic, which is really exciting. We have lots of really exciting things coming up. We have we actually offer different programming all around entrepreneurship and skill trades and how there's a connection there, how there's a connection there. So we're going to be putting off a program for post-secondary students at the C Stephenville uh, campus this week as well, um, and we partner with the NL Association of CBDCs on that. Um, so yeah, we have lots of really exciting things coming up. We're going to hopefully be doing some, um, you know, traveling to the Cornerbrook area and to Labrador in the fall. So we encourage anyone, especially educators, you know, if, if you're interested in having us visit your area, definitely reach out to us because we're, you know, we're always looking for, you know, new opportunities opportunities and new, um, you know, new areas to feature and to get students exposed to. And, you know, when you're talking about skills, you were talking about, um, in this particular case, it's heavy equipment. Uh, but what kind of range of, of skills do you typically look at? Yeah, so we look, I mean, there's over, you know, 500 different skill trade and technology careers. So we look from everything from your traditional trades to technology. Um, we've done events in the past, you know, in, like I said before, in arts. So really it can be anything that's a skilled career that you would consider a skilled career. Um, one other exciting thing is, is that we have our nationals coming up in May. So we'll actually have a team traveling with us um, to Winnipeg to compete in, you know, various skill trade and technology areas and even some employee skills. So, you know, we really do everything from those employability skills, working on the skills for success to those hands-on um, um, areas. So really you're looking at pretty much whatever you can think of. <laughs> Exciting stuff. Rebecca yeah. Lawler, thanks so much for taking the time with us. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
And Rebecca Lawler is the program manager with Skills Canada. Some 40 students participating in a special hands-on learning experience in Steamville this week through the Skills Canada program. Well, that's it for us for today. I want to thank everybody for joining us here today. We'll continue to have all the latest news for you now in the major 5 o'clock news package uh, coming up with Noah Shepard. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Do join us then, and uh, thanks for listening.